Good morning, Circle, and happy Father's Day to you all today. Now, dads, we want to honor you and celebrate with you. Dad, I want to wish you a personal happy Father's Day from me. Now, um, as we're celebrating, before you all prep for your barbecues and cookouts and, and get ready to go out to celebrate today, I do want to just remind you just to enjoy this moment. Enjoy the day. Soak it all in. Enjoy all the celebrations. Enjoy all the new memories that you're making today. Father's Day really is an exciting celebration. But I do want to acknowledge this. For some of you, it might not be a celebration at all. I just want to acknowledge that this day carries a variety of Now, I'm fortunate to be a father. I'm blessed to, to, to also have a father and to have a father-in-law who have been great sources of support and presence in my life and who journeyed with me through all seasons of life. If I'm honest, there were even rougher seasons, that's for sure, seasons where much grace was, much grace was required and there were seasons of joy. Some of you are excited today and you should be. But I do want to acknowledge that some of you today are sad and it's okay to be sad. It is okay to mourn on Father's Day. It's okay to miss your dad if he's gone. It's okay to be sad if your dad just was never there. And it's okay to want a dad. So wherever you are today, I want you to know that you are seen and that we care for you. And I still do want to wish you the best of Father's Day, no matter where you are in your emotions, because in the Christian tradition, in our faith, we learn and are invited into a family where we are all adopted and cared for, pursued, waited on, searched for, and absolutely loved by our Heavenly Father. This is what our church is. We have a Heavenly Father. Now that said, I know that even mentioning fatherhood and God as an ultimate example of father, there can be some um, resentful or painful thoughts. And you may feel this resentment even if your father is a good one. Because so many fathers carry so much regret, carry so much shame and fear, fear of never living up to the father they wish they were, fear of never living up to the father they wish they had. In fact, if I'm honest, as I was writing these words, as I was preparing this message for Father's Day, my son and I had a regrettable exchange. There's pain knowing I could have handled things so much different. There's pain in knowing I could have responded differently. And there's shame in knowing that I could have loved better. It is in these times that it is so important for us to come to grips with our understanding of God the Father. Now, in the Old Testament, in the first part of the Bible, God is introduced to us as a father. Father of a nation. Father of the people. A father who is deeply involved and concerned for his children. And this is a really important metaphor for us to pick up and build on and to notice. It is an important metaphor for us to think about. Because unlike some 
removed faraway deity, some faraway God somewhere out there, we are very early on in our Bible introduced to a God who embraces and loves and uses the metaphor of father. That is someone who is personal, someone who has our best in mind, one who has children he cares about. These are such important metaphors to wrestle and think about. And I think it's important for us to think about them because, um, and sometimes I wonder the fact that the remnants of Christendom, the culture we live in, is so, uh, is so heavy with that Father God language that we don't even blink an eye when we hear God the Father. We have heard it so much before. Whether we're church or unchurched, this is the language that we're accustomed to. And I wonder if because we are so accustomed to it, the language has become meaningless in some ways. Right? Because we've heard it so much. And it's been part of our culture for so long. I wonder if we don't give it enough thought that it deserves. But this metaphor, God the Father, is actually so unique and compelling, especially when it was written, especially when it was being taught. It is drawing us to a really personal and relational God. We are even introduced to a very endearing term for God in the Bible. Abba. Now, not the rock band from the 70s, not the band that John Ravishander loves and plays all the time at our office functions. Abba just always seems to be playing. No, not them. Abba here is a Jewish term of endearment for God. Abba meaning daddy, papa. It is specifically an endearing term that appears in traditional Jewish, in traditional Jewish liturgy and in Jewish prayers. It is a term that, unlike understanding of angry, standoffish, and distant deities of the near ancient East, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, is presented and taught and understood as an intimate, present, caring, faithful, and loving father. This is a distinct and important narrative that we must notice and kind of hang in and understand. Because of our Christianese language, we take for granted the parental language in the Bible, as I mentioned earlier. And yet this loving, intimate dad, papa, father, has important promise for his children. He says, I will be their God, and they will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of them. Now this quote, this combination of promises of God, notice what these promises hold. There's a promise to be present. Do you see it? I will be their God. Now Austin, Pastor Austin, shared for us last week so powerfully that God hears and sees the cries of the oppressed. You see, God can do that because he's present. And he says, and they will be my people and I will dwell in their midst. God is a God of presence. Who is here, who is near, who understands, who hears and sees, who adopts, who does good. So God in the first part of the Bible is initially proclaimed to us as the father of Israel. As the father who adopts this group of people so that 
Now, don't miss this next part because he's not an exclusive God. He adopts them so that all nations, all nations would know the love of the Father. God acts as the good Father who's patient, who's the creator, who's caretaker. He had formed this nation. He has shaped them. He has disciplined them. He brings them up. He loves them. He has an inheritance for them. He saves them. He redeems them. He provides rest for them and guidance. He's compassionate. He's kind. He's loving and merciful. He's tender and caring. He longs for his children to know him. He heals them. He likes them. He delights in them. And he treasures his people. And he does that so that the people could reflect him, so that the sojourners, the foreigners, could join his people. His people were to be a light, to be his reflection to all nations. Do you see what he's doing? Do you see the path that God is laying out for people? He invites Israel into a discipleship journey. Now, discipleship is a theological term that we use a lot in church, but it simply means to be a person who imitates their teacher, a person um, who learns from their master, Maybe a better way of saying it is someone who apprentices. God the Father takes Israel on the journey of discipleship, a journey of apprenticeship, to be like him, to be like the good Father. God calls his children, his nation, to imitate his goodness, to imitate his justice, to imitate his kindness, despite being surrounded by unjust, unkind realities of life. A good father sets an example of how to tackle life with all its challenges, all its obstacles, and then to learn how to live well in them. Friends, the spiritual journey of faith is an invitation into apprenticeship of God the Father. And here's what's helpful for us in life of parenting, specifically fathering. We learn that God the Father had his children misbehave by simply not becoming like him. They ignored his invitation into apprenticeship and frequently acted out. Therefore, God, God's fatherly heart, we learn from the story, right from the beginning, his fatherly heart was deeply grieved even agonized. Do you see the relational love of God already being played out for us? Yet God's fatherhood did not cease because it is his eternal nature. God's fatherhood did not, does not cease. He doesn't become unfaithful. He doesn't become um, not present. He doesn't pack up and leave. He didn't abandon us, but instead, and through discipline, called his children, calls us, called his nation, back to himself. Friends, wherever you are in your experience of fatherhood, good, bad, or the ugly, wherever you are, we draw on the fact that our Heavenly Father never ceases being a father who loves us, a father who shows loyalty, a father who's gracious, awaits us, who's present. God the Father loves you like no one else. Even when you, even when I 
don't live up to that fatherly example. Even when we don't live up to being good apprentices. Even when we're not great children. God loves us. He's gracious. He always welcomes us back. What we also learn is that because of God's genuine fatherly love, there's a promise that's made. We call it a new covenant. That we'll be new people with him as our father, with new hearts and a new father-son relationship. God will be their father, our father, and they will be their, his children, will be his children. And as the Bible story unfolds, it is important to know that the theme of the fatherhood of God carries over and expands in the New Testament, in the second part of the Bible. This metaphor of father not only grows, but develops significantly. And we simply must pay attention to it. It's crucial. It's an important part of our scriptures. There's both continuity and progression of this revelation of God the Father. This progression becomes a major one in the New Testament because God in all his mystery reveals his family to us, right? He reveals his community of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to us. And we are introduced specifically to, son, to the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. We learn very quickly that in the Gospels, that is the good news, of, good news about Jesus, Jesus is primarily and consistently relates to God as his Father. Their relationship is particularly highlighted in the Gospel of John. Just in this one Gospel, Jesus calls God the Father, or my Father, 107 times. And refers to, his, to himself as the Son of God, or the Son in the context uh, with the Father, around 30 times, just in this one gospel alone. You see how important this metaphor is, how important it is to understand the relational reality of God if we are going to understand Jesus and what he's calling us into. This is important for us to note as Jesus himself connects us to the importance of the intimacy and love of God as central to who he is. This is so crucial to think about and to understand. Our faith being a relationship is so key here. Our faith being a relationship is so important. Why? Because we tend to make faith all about rules, don't we? And yes, rules are good. Good parenting requires rules. There's an important place for them. I mean, we want our children to understand social conventions. We want them to understand rules so they could behave well, right? We do. But what do we long more for than just an obedient child? Okay, and I know I want to pause here because I know some of you are saying, uh, nothing. I just want my kids to listen. Please make them listen. I want them to be obedient. Please, God, make them listen. I see that prayer way in the back. I see it. Yes, of course, we want our kids to behave. But more than that, more than that, we want a loving relationship with them. Don't we? And this is central idea of God the Father and his Son who gives us an example of life lived well. Jesus teaches his disciples, his students, to relate to God as their Father in heaven. In all of this, God, in his love for us, unfolds his perfect plan 
for people. He creates an open way in and through Jesus Christ, his son, so that people can become children of God. God then gives them his spirit. Again, another person of God, his spirit, another part of their family, another part of their community, and and he gives it to the people and the church is launched. The church, a new spiritual family is launched through the work of his son, through the work of the Holy Spirit, a new family is launched. And the Spirit of God now testifies that the church, that the children of God are in fact his children. These are the promises we enter into when we fully understand what the metaphor, what the metaphor of God as our Father is, which is so crucial to our faith, despite what our earthly parents were like. It is a crucial, high-standard example of the love that sometimes we, we may never reach, but we, we thirst for. This is the bar that God said, sets when he talks about fathering and parenting. This is the continuity and progression of both understanding of God as the Father and the reality of his people as his children. This is the central teaching in the Bible, friends. And in the New Testament, Christ is the mediator of all those blessings. In the Old Testament, we are presented with God, the Father, longing for intimate uh, father-son relationship with his people, with his children, whom he wants to bless and, and who love him and obey him, who are disciplined, discipled, and mentored by him to be like him in this relationship. And now is developed and fulfilled in the New Testament, in the second part of the Bible, through the work and the person of Jesus Christ, creating new people, creating a new spirit, creating a new heart, relating to God as their Abba, their Papa, their loving Father. These are the promises that the Christian faith invites all of us into, no matter what our earthly parenting is like. An eternal promise of intimacy, relationship, hope, and love given to us by fatherly love of a God who's near and present. That sounds exciting, right? But what do we do with all of this information? What do we do with this understanding and this flow and this story of God as our father of an intimate parent who then sends his son who loves us and sets a way for us, who then reflects us and tells us to, be, to, to love the father, to know the father, to know him because he and the father are one? What do we do with this amazing promise? What do we do with this amazing hope? What do we do with this example of fatherly love? What do we do with this example that some of us haven't experienced here on earth? What do we do knowing that God is the good, good father? Well, did you know that after the Gospels, in the second part of the, of the Bible, the New Testament, the, the Gospels, are, of course, are the life and teaching of Jesus but after the Gospels, the Bible, basically the rest of it is people just learning to put to practice what Jesus modeled. Learning to live out and be good apprentices of Christ. It's basically people apprenticing to be like Jesus. In fact, the name Christian is a term that people started calling followers of Jesus, followers of the way, which literally means little Christs. They were little Christs because they were imitating Christ. And that's where the name Christians came from. They were imitating. They were learning to live in the way of the Son 
to know the Father. So we have these amazing letters and interactions and teachings and examples of people learning to be apprentices of Jesus, learning to step into this relationship of fatherhood, of mentoring, learning to be good parents to people who are, who are also new to faith, to new, new believers, new searchers, as they look at joining this new spiritual family. And one of these examples in the New Testament, one of these examples in the stories after the Gospels is the relationship between Apostle Paul and his student, Timothy. Now Paul, those of you that know him, who's read about him, uh, with all his imperfections, enters into a fathering, mentoring role relationship with Timothy. Paul had this miraculous encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he does this quick 180 turn uh, where he's changed forever. He's rocked to find that Jesus, who he was persecuting at the time, was actually God. That Jesus is who Jesus said he was. This experience takes all Paul's education, all his past, all his knowledge, all his understanding of Jewish faith, and also of the Roman Empire. All of that God uses as a promise to fulfill his relationship with us. And so Paul begins to teach the way of Jesus. And Paul takes this young mentor, Timothy, uh, along, and he begins to teach him the way of Jesus. And as, as he saw in his own upbringings, in his own education, he was prepared to step into this role as a rabbi, as a teacher, as a mentor, as a father for Timothy. And by the way, even as I explain Paul and all his stuff and all his mess and how he steps in as a fatherhood for, uh, for Timothy, it doesn't just make you exhale. Because when you think of an example of God the Father to be measured up to, or Jesus as their parent to live up to, it could feel like the bar is set so high. How could I ever be like God or like Jesus? It's so impossible, so hard. How could I even try to do that? But when we are introduced to the earthly examples of people apprenticing to be like God the Father, like Paul, with all their human stuff, with all their mess, and yet God calls them into these roles, it just feels a little bit more attainable, right? So we can breathe a little bit. It feels a little bit, a little bit maybe doable to do that. Like when I think of that Jesus actually called Paul, Apostle Paul, to launch all the Gentile, the, the, the Gentile really just means non-Jewish churches around the known world of that time, around Asia Minor, that Jesus calls Paul to do that. That's amazing to me because Paul was murderous, hateful, and yet Jesus calls him to be the father of all these new churches, of all these new families, of all these spiritually new families when I hear that, it seems a bit more attainable, right, than living up to be Jesus and God the Father. It's a little bit relieving. <laughs> so what I want us uh, to do today is just to hang on the few advices Paul has for Timothy. Take some of his fatherly advices for us as a spiritual family, learning from our spiritual fathers. And there's so much to learn from Paul and so much to learn what he teaches Timothy. And I would just really encourage you to read both letters that Paul writes to Timothy. But today I'm just going to focus on, on three points that Paul writes to Timothy in one verse. Okay? So here we are. Paul says this to Timothy, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. 
but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Now, as we read this, some of you might be saying, I'm not that young. This is clearly maybe not for me. This is kind of for Timothy, somebody who's really young. That's not the case. It might be, but it might not be. And what I mean here is is that, first of all, Apostle Paul is older than all of us. So we are all young compared to him. So he has some fatherly advice for us to take from this one sentence. He does have an example for us as a church family. We must pay attention to what he's saying here. Don't let anyone look down uh, on you because you're young for us as a church family. And I say this because it's interesting that Timothy is not some young child. After all, at this point, Timothy has been with Paul 15 years. Okay? At this point, he's already been helping Paul for 15 years. Also, the word for youth here, the the Greek word is uh, neotes. Okay? Neotes in Greek describes anyone of military age. That is, up to the age 40. So what's going on here? Why is, why is Paul saying, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young? Why is he saying that if Timothy could be up to 38 years old? Well, Paul, who's older than Timothy, recognizes the human condition. He recognizes that people will use any excuse when they disagree with someone, right? They will use any excuse when they disagree with somebody. Uh, they, they look for the obvious way to dismiss an argument, and usually it's a superficial thing, right? Right? So here he's saying, oh, you're just too young. You don't get it. We do this all the time. You wouldn't get it. You're too young. Or how about this excuse? Maybe you've heard this before. Oh, he doesn't know anything. He hasn't lived my life. He doesn't know me. Or how about this one? Oh, they don't know. We can't trust those people. They lean left politically. We can't trust them. Or we can't trust them. They lean right politically. Or the common one, which is connected to the youth. Oh, they're just new. Oh, they're just starting this job. They're new. They'll learn. They'll learn. See, Paul says, don't let your youth, your newness, your youthfulness, don't let superficial arguments and accusations discourage or dissuade you. Don't let youthfulness be something that is despised, pointed to, something used to write you off. Don't let it. Stand firm. You can almost feel Paul Paul say, follow my example. Don't believe those lies. God has marked you. He has called you. He knows you. This is amazing. Look, Paul Paul is giving Timothy this fatherly care and advice, and he shows Timothy to remember. He says, Timothy, remember who you are. Remember who you are. When those accusations, when those superficial arguments come your way, oh, he's too young, or he doesn't get it, or he doesn't vote the same way. Remember who you are in Christ. Paul steps in with fatherly, mentoring, apprenticing advice. Friends, our life and experiences want to tell us a lot about who we are. And they also want to tell us a lot about who we are not. 
And when we hear so many confusing conclusions of who we are and who we are not, we need someone like Paul to remind us to step in like a father, to jolt us back to reality, to affirm who we are. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Don't let anyone look down on you because, and you can fill in the blank there, accusations you might have heard before. Don't let anyone look down on you because of that. Don't let anyone look down on you because of that. Remember who you are, a child of God. And then Paul gives Timothy the hardest advice of all. An advice that, that, has to, uh, that, he, that, that Timothy has to learn to imitate, as Paul does, the life of Jesus, the character of God the Father. And he can only silence, here's how he does it. Like, it's such a hard advice. And he says, you can only silence criticism. You can only silence criticism you're receiving by having the best argument. No, that's not what he says. By going on social media and creating a smear campaign against these guys. Of course not. By making them illegitimate based on their race or their sex or their finances. No, of course not. The advice Timothy, uh, the advice Paul gives Timothy is silence criticism by your conduct. Your only answer is by how you live. Your answer to criticism, to criticism is your life. The story you write each day. The story you enter into a choice at a time. The life you said by mistakes you've made, the life you said by learning from the mistakes you've made, the life you said by breaking generational mistakes in your family patterns, the life you make by choosing to live in the way that brings hope and goodness, the life you live in a way that sets an example. Paul says this is the only way that is the way of God the Father, the way of Jesus, the way that I, Apostle Paul, am living to silence hate, criticism, and abuse by setting an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, my life, in love, in faith, and in purity. You are to silence them by your life. And your life should reflect these three important characteristics that we get from God the Father. We get them by being good apprentices, by allowing the Spirit of God to shape us and to mold us. We are changed to be like God the Father. Our story is built from God who is the Father who loves us. And those three things are, first he says, he says, in love. And the word in love here is agape. And some of you might have heard it. It's a Greek word for love. But the, specifically, this love, this agape love, means, uh, meaning here is unconquerable, benevolence. That is compassion, kindness, and generosity beyond belief. Clearly, this is the kind of love which takes all of person's personality to achieve all of your life. This kind of love only happens when we apprentice in the way of Jesus daily. 
This is the kind of love happens when we allow the Spirit of God to shape us. This is the kind of love that happens when we understand God the Father's love for us. So live your life, Timothy, Apostle Paul writes, live your life, he says to us, in the way of God. Love with much compassion and much kindness. Be generous and do not become like the critics who look down on you for your youth, who look for superficial excuses. Don't be like them. Instead, be compassionate even to them. Live in life. Conduct your life in love. Secondly, he says to live this life uh, of example in faith. Now, the word faith here in Greek is, is pistis. Now, it's interesting that, that this word really means be persuaded, come to trust, live a life uh, of loyalty to God. Live a life of loyalty to God the Father. Live, a, live in loyalty to the Heavenly Father and the family he has adopted you into. You're part of a spiritual family. Yes, you might have had uh, parents that weren't great on earth. Yes, you might have had really bad parents. Yes, you might have had awesome parents here on earth. But you are to step into a life of loyalty to a heavenly father who knows you deeper and better than anyone else and who loves you. He has adopted you. So because, because of that, be loyal. Be loyal because you'll be pulled into many directions, many opportunities, Especially if you are criticized, you will want to change those allegiances. You'll want to say, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm too young. Maybe I am too dumb. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, rich enough. Whatever it is, you'll be pulled away. And Paul says to Timothy, no, be loyal in faith. Put your life in faith in God the Father. Stay the course. <laughs> the course. Be faithful. And thirdly, we read here that Paul says to Timothy, thirdly, live in purity. Now, the Greek word for purity here is hagnia. Hagnia, if you can say that with me, hagnia. That is to live your calling. To live your calling that God has called you, that the Father God has adopted you into as his children. Step into that title of a child of God. Live into that. Purity. Be disciplined as this new child. Now, it's interesting. Pliny, the Roman author and governor, observed Christians living in purity, he wrote. Lived in this kind of calling, in the way of God the Father. And so much so that he wrote, he said, they, that's the Christians, the little Christs, they are accustomed to bind themselves by an oath to commit neither theft, nor robbery, nor adultery. They never break their word even when they're summoned to answer it. Pliny sees the standard that Christians were called into. He sees the purity, the discipline that Christians ought to step into as the children of God the Father. He saw the, the, the standard of honor and honesty, of self-control, of discipline, of consideration, far above the standards of the Roman Empire, far above the standards of the world. The simple fact is that the world will never have any use for little Christ, any use for little Christians, any use for Christianity, unless we apprentice to Jesus and produce the best men, the best women, 
The purity call that Paul gives Timothy is to step into your best you that Christ has called you. To be his child. To be Jesus' apprentice. To live to the standard of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Father. Friends, do you see the pattern unfolding for us today? Through the amazing story of the Bible, today we uncovered what I want to call, everything we talked about, I want to call it a fathering story. A fathering story. Now that's, that's a story that I introduced to you in God to a Nation. There it is. Which is a fathering story of God to a Nation to set an example for other nations. God is fathering his nation to be his people so that others will want to be with God. So they could be a light to reflect who God is as a good father. Live in such a way that sets an example of who God is so that others may know God and want to be with him. A fathering story of God to a nation. Then I quickly just unpacked that the second fathering story, this is really broad here, of course, but that the second story is Jesus to the world. Set an example of a fathering story to the world. Be like Jesus, live like Jesus, enter the way of Jesus, that through Jesus you can know the Father because Jesus and the Father are one. He's the God, the good Father. And third fathering story that I just unpacked really quickly is between Paul to Timothy. Set an example by how you live. Help people know what it looks like to follow God the Father. You see, this fathering story is throughout our whole scripture. And I just pointed to the three things. And there's so many other examples of fathering stories that we can unpack in the scriptures. So many more. But a fathering story we looked at today is God to nation, Jesus to the world, and Paul to Timothy. Our scripture shows us an intimate, loving relational God who is fathering us, mentoring us, adopting us, discipling us, disciplining us how to live well in the world, even in a world surrounded with suffering. How to live well even in suffering because Jesus suffers. Another part of the fathering story. Jesus understands our suffering because he steps into our suffering. He's a present God. So we have three examples that I just broadly cover today of a fathering story. And look at what this fathering story is compelling us to do. Look at the fathering advice these three examples give us. God to a nation. Israel was told over and over to love. Remember that word we just talked about, agape. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. To be just. To be honorable. Even to the least. To have faith. To be loyal to a God who's called you out of Egypt. Who's called you out of all the other ways to, to live your life. And a God who calls you to purity. Calls the nation to purity. To be holy. To be set apart. Remember those three. Love, faith, and purity. We see this fatherly advice in this example of God to a nation. Then second, Jesus to the world. Jesus tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself because God so loved the world. 
Jesus tells us to have faith in him because he and the Father are one. So he's saying, be loyal, remain in me, like the branch and the vine. Remain in me, be loyal, be connected, have faith. And Jesus calls us to purity, to be discipled, to be disciplined in how we live our life, to be his apprentices. Don't go into, when we talk about purity, sometimes our minds travels to all the other ways we've used that word and frustrations that that word has brought to cultures, in the, especially, specifically in the north, uh, in the north, in the west here. I guess we're in the north too, but what Jesus is calling us here is to disciplined life, an apprentice life that reeks of love, compassion, and generosity. And thirdly, we have, again, fatherly advice, as we've been unpacking, from Paul to Timothy. Paul tells Timothy to live in such a way that love, faith, and purity are what your life is known for. You see these themes through and through here, to live a life of love, faith, and purity. The fatherly advice to us through the whole Bible is to take love, faith, purity, love, loyalty, discipline seriously. To live in this fatherly advice because it changes us to be a people who live well and who are compassionate and kind. We see this through the whole Bible. This is a small sample. We see it through the whole scriptures. Friends, on this Father's Day, as we celebrate, as we mourn our earthly fathers, we are reminded that we are part of a loving, fathering story that's so much bigger than us. Where God has called us, his children, our Heavenly Father loves us and wants us to remember who we are. We are his image bearers. We are his children. He knows you. He knows me. And he loves you and he delights in us. He claims you as his child. He claims you as his child. Now, if you're new with us, if you're joining us, if you're watching this, and you want to step into this family, into this adoption, into this spiritual parenting, if you want to proclaim God as your father, all it takes is to accept his gift. His gift of being his child. You can repeat this short prayer after me, and it doesn't solve everything. It's the beginning of a journey, but it welcomes you into a family. So if you want to be part of this family, if you want God to be your father, if you need him deeply today to be your father, would you just repeat the short prayer after me? Simply say, God, I want you to be my father. I accept your gift of life through Jesus Christ, your son. Jesus, save me and help me. Amen. And if you made this prayer, if this was your cry of the heart today, welcome. Welcome. Please let us know that, this, that you've done this. Please hit that button in our chat to say you've accepted Jesus as your Lord. You've accepted him as your father. Please let us know so we can gift you a new testament. But more importantly that, that we can celebrate a new sibling joining our family. What a gift. What a gift. God the Heavenly Father calls you his child and he loves you deeply. Finally, friends, this fathering story not only adopts us, but invites us to be like our Heavenly Father. 
invites us into a lifestyle, into a life that is marked by love, faith, and purity. Love, loyalty, and discipline. God invites us into this new lifestyle. And look, in life, we have generational attributes passed down to us, right? We all know this. We have DNA that we receive from our parents that's passed down to us, that shapes us how we look. We have attitudes, behaviors, addictions, talents, joys, sorrows that are passed down to us from our earthly parents. In our spiritual family, we are invited to adopt God the Father's generational DNA, the character of our God the Father. We're invited into that generational new pattern. That's why we use language born again. You're a new child. You, you are born into a family where you receive God's DNA. And its character is based in love, faith, and purity. We are invited to learn and to be like our Father because it allows us to live in this world with hope, joy, and peace. It allows us to silence criticism of our life and create a hope of, for people who also want this life. Because, I mean, who doesn't want hope, joy, and peace? Because of that, in our spiritual journey, there are seasons when we, when we are like Apostle Paul. Those of us that have been in this church family, we, we are like Apostle Paul, fathering someone along, discipling, mentoring, guiding someone that we're just a little bit ahead of because we've been through that obstacle. And we manage to get over it. And there are seasons in our life when we are Timothy, where we need a father, a guiding support and help of someone who was able to navigate the joyful and sorrowful parts of life. A fathering story requires of us to step into the calling of chil as children of God, as his apprentices. And when we do that, we all need both. We need Apostle Paul's and we need Timothy's in our life. We need Apostle Paul's in our lives to remind us of the amazing gift and calling and love that God has for us and to stand firm in who we are, to remind and guide, to guide us and to parent us because there are seasons where we must know who we are and so we need the Apostle Paul's in our life. And then we must have Timothy's in our life, reminding them who they are, a life that they are called into, a life of setting example through love, faith, and purity. This fathering story, this spiritual pathway is a life of apprenticeship with God, the Father who loves each person deeply. So friends, let me ask you a question. Who is your Paul? And who is your Timothy?